darkness now has ended In the kingdom of light In the kingdom of light Forever under your dominion You're the king of my life You're the king of my life You reign above it all You reign above it all Over the universe And over every heart There is no higher name Jesus, you reign above it all You poured out your life Just to give us new life Now from the lips of the forgiven Hear an anthem arise Cause Jesus, you're alive You reign above it all You reign above it all Over
So oh. 
Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good nights. Whenever you're watching this, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you, worship team, for leading us in a time of worship. Uh, we as a staff, we just hope and pray that uh, this time together with us is just a blessing uh, for you uh, throughout the week. Well, uh, as you know, we love praying for you. Man, there is a lot going on uh, overall and just in our week and day to day. And, and, and prayer is something that uh, should not be taken for granted. And we love to pray for you. We as a staff, we find it a privilege and honor to be able to pray for you. So you can send your prayer requests, your confidential prayer requests to 97,000. 97,000, you can send those in anytime you would want. And just know uh, we do take those serious and we do pray for you. Well, there is a lot happening at Agora. We have things going on, children, students, adults, tons of things. And uh, we would love for you, if you are interested in finding out more information about what is happening, uh, to, go our, to go to our website at agorabible.org, and you can find endless information. And while you're on there, uh, you'll see a Give tab. Uh, that's where you can make a donation. And as you know, uh, our ministries are only possible through your generous financial support. And we would be so grateful if you would just uh, consider, uh, prayerfully consider uh, to make a donation. Uh, we would so appreciate that. Well, before we spend a few moments in God's Word together, uh, let me pray before we get to it. Well, Father, we thank you so much for uh, this church and for the ministries that we're able to do. And uh, we just thank you so much for the people that are tuning in, that are listening uh, right now, uh, that are sending out their prayer requests, uh, that are sitting down on the couches ready to dig into your word, Lord. I just pray, Lord, that the distractions will leave, that the outside voices will uh, be cleared, and that uh, we can hear your spirit, Lord, that you will speak to us and exactly what you want us to hear uh, for today, Lord. Uh, we thank you so much uh, for who you are, for your faithfulness, and uh, we love you so, so much. It's your name we pray. Amen. Oh, you don't know what it's taken to get here today. Hey, welcome, everybody. If you don't know who I am, I last served here in December of last year when I just glided into retirement. It was kind of a crazy way to uh, end 10 years here at ABF. I finished up on a Thursday and promptly was tested positive for COVID on Friday. I began retirement in quarantine for 10 days. And uh, it's been quite an exciting six months. I'm so glad to see you. Some of you are new. I don't know who you are, so let's get acquainted afterwards here today. If you would take out your bulletin, there are several reasons you know I'm preaching and not Scott, because I have two pages. He always has one. 
and that hasn't changed. Lots has hap- have happened uh, since then. Uh, if you are watching online, you're wondering why was this not posted on Saturday night? I'll do anything to get out of preaching to an empty room on Thursdays when we normally film for the online service. I was playing racquetball on Thursday, got my feet tripped up, and apparently I piled drive the back wall and knocked myself out and woke up with paramedics after four minutes. Uh, well, actually, I don't know how, I was out for four. So I was in the ICU this week, and uh, I said, there are a couple things I got to do, folks. Uh, I realize I may have a concussion, but I need to get out for two things. I have Dodger tickets for last night, and I'm preaching at my church on Sunday that I retired from, and I must be there, so make it so. And uh, they did, and I'm here, and I'm glad you're here. But I got to tell you, yeah, thank you. But I normally move around the pulpit, but I'm hanging on for dear life right now. And uh, we'll see. Uh, I may have uh, my uh, concierge doctor who's retired help me off the stage. But let me just say something to you. For those of you who are lightheaded from time to time and you've gotten older and your steps are unsure, I am with you. I am with you. I feel for you. I empathize with that. And I got to just tell you, I'm looking over here at the crosses, and what is awesome is that ABF, my granddaughter, accepted Christ as a five-and-a-half-year-old little Selah Scott. And um, so we did a little memory test yesterday, and my wife said, can you remember the names of all your grandkids and your birthdays? I got to tell you, some of you can't even do that, and I nailed it. I got 100%. Hey, we are in a series called Supporting Cast, playing our part in God's story, and I'm going to look at one of my favorite characters. His name is Barnabas, and I've been thinking about this because in the movies, there's stars, and then there's the sidekicks, there's the supporting cast, and sometimes uh, they're very talented. In fact, usually they're very talented if they're in the supporting cast. They just don't get the star billing, so I thought we'd have a little fun I went back down memory lane. I found some pictures of some famous duos. I will say the name of the lead actor. You will say the name of the supporting cast. Let's start together. The first one, we have the Lone Ranger and? Next one, we have Fred Flintstone and? Barney. Barney. And what was Barney's last name? Barney Rubble. And then we have who? Batman and? And then we have Sherlock Holmes and and then we have Han Solo and Chewbacca. Chewbacca. Then we have James Kirk and very good. And then for those of you, I had to do this one. We have Wayne and Garth. Very good. And then I'm really stretching. We have Napoleon Dynamite and we have Pedro Sanchez. And we can't leave this one out because it came out of the movies. We have Maverick and Goose. Very good. You know your movie trivia, but how about your supporting cast when it comes to the Bible? We have sidekicks like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to who? Daniel. We have this best man combination. We have Jonathan in relationship to David. And then we've got a guy like John the Baptist, who's the setup man for Jesus. 
But one you may not have thought much about is this guy named Barnabas. He's a guy who actually, when we first get to know him, we'll see that he's in the, quote, first chair, but then takes a supportive role to who? Paul, later on in his ministry. Now, I want to be clear, when we're looking at Old Testament characters, New Testament characters, any Bible character, Josh mentioned this last week, but who is the hero of the story? Christ is the hero of the story. And so you ask the question, why would we study a biblical character? Because we believe that these earthly role models give us a clue, give us an example of the kinds of character qualities that we would want to emulate as growing Christians. Now you say, biblically, where do we get that from the Scripture? It's not on your notes here, but um, look at Hebrews 13, 7. It says, remember your leaders who spoke to you in the Word of God, consider the outcome of their life, and imitate their faith. So there's this idea of follow me as I follow Christ, like Paul said in 1 Corinthians. Or in Hebrews 6, 12, don't be sluggish, but imitators of those through faith and patience inherit the promises. And so that's the basis for what we're talking about today. Now, I'm going to look, uh, take your notes here, and I'm going to look at, it looks like seven uh, character qualities that we will take a look at if the time allows, or maybe this becomes a two-part sermon. No, we'll finish it today. So several things. First of all, in your notes, he was an encourager. And I'm going to go chronologically through the book of Acts, and uh, there's a lot of material there. He was an encourager. Look at chapter 4, verse 36. Now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement. So that's the very first mention of him uh, in the New Testament. And uh, they kind of nicknamed him Barney for short, and he was this encourager. He was born on the island of Cyprus in the city of Salamis, and uh, he begins his missionary journey with Paul as a homecoming of sorts. So interesting enough, when he hooks up with Paul much later, which we'll see in our message today, the first place he goes is his hometown. Isn't that interesting for a guy who's been away from home for a while? And we know in verse 37, which you don't see up on the screen, that he had sold a field, he gave it to the apostles, and so he's a generous guy as well, but he's an encourager. And he's an he's a, uh, encourager in many ways, but what we'll do this morning is just after each point, I want to ask you a question to do a little self-analysis, right? I know school's out for summer, but a little self-analysis. How are you doing in the area of being an encourager to other people? Who is an encouragement to you? Um, and the privilege of doing this sermon, having been gone in a while, uh, whoever I see in the audience that the Lord brings to mind this morning, it's not in my notes. I'm going to just say, hey, you're, you represent this in my life. And he's sitting in the front row. His name's Brian Ortelheide. Now, he's an acquired taste, let me just tell you. Uh, I say that in all love and kindness. But he is an encourager, such an encourager. I remember, and this is kind of an interesting morning for me because it was exactly 10 years ago this weekend uh, where I preached my first sermon at ABF. It was this weekend in July, 10 years ago, and uh, what a blessing. He was the very first person I met at this church 
after my sermon, he came up and gave me a big bear hug. And I'm going, well, very, very friendly church. And uh, he has the same uh, jewelry around his neck, but he has been an encouragement to me for the past 10 years. He moves to Virginia and is still an encouragement to me. And so I want to suggest to you, why don't you write a note or text someone this week and just encourage them, say the Lord has brought you to mind. So I've been preparing this. When you have six months to prepare a message, you have some time, right? And it was about a month ago that the Lord brought a guy to my mind to encourage. His name is Rex Hudler. He used to be the color commentator for the angels. And it was so great, I texted him, and we got together this last month when Kansas City was in town. By the way, he's no longer with the angels for the non-sports fan. He's with the Kansas City Royals, long story. But we got to chat and be an encouragement to one another. So take the time to make that text today. Secondly, he was a defender. This is an interesting, interesting passage. In chapter 9, verse 26 through 29, it says, when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were afraid of, they were all afraid of him. Who's, the, who's afraid of who? They're not afraid of Barnabas, they're afraid of Paul. And so we see in verse 27, but Barnabas took a hold of him, meaning Paul, and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, that Paul had seen the road, uh, on the road, seeing Jesus, and that he had talked to him uh, and how to, in Damascus and spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, mainly because of Barnabas, speaking boldly in the name of Jesus. And he debated the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. Interesting role that Barnabas plays. He defends Paul to the apostles when nobody wants to trust him. Now, why would nobody want to trust Paul? Well, he had just been going around killing the early church, the Christians. He goes from persecuting the church to preaching to the church. And literally, Barnabas stuck his neck out to, to kind of defend him. In, the, in other words, he vouches for him. Now, I love this definition of a friend. You might want to write it down. A definition of a, of a friend is the one who comes in when the whole world goes out. Paul clearly needed a Barnabas in his life to support him and defend him when he's in this fledgling first steps of faith. Now, you might ask the question, well, when should we defend someone? Like, eh, maybe I shouldn't get involved. Maybe let's let this solve itself. Let me give you four reasons or times when you would defend someone. Number one, when God tells you to. That's a pretty obvious one. Number two is when the bully is picking on the little guy. Uh, Remember the movie, My Bodyguard? I don't have time to, to remind you of it, but watch it, all right? Number three, you defend someone when it's the right thing to do, when it's the right thing to do. And lastly, you defend someone when truth or justice is being perverted or twisted. There's a lot more there that could be unpacked, but I'll leave those four thoughts for you as we think about defending someone else. Thirdly, uh, the third characteristic that Barnabas has is that he is fat. Yeah, you got it. He's fat. <laughs> Faithful, available, and trustworthy. He's fat. Now, you say, what in the world? Where'd you get that? 44 years ago, when I was recruiting youth ministry volunteers, I did some thinking, and I said, you know what? I just need three things from these people. They don't have to have any experience. They've got to be faithful 
They've got to be available, and they either have to be teachable, trustworthy. I'm, for my sake today, I'm calling it trustworthy. They have to be fat. And I want to just do something to encourage. If you are a youth worker or a children's worker volunteer in this room, would you just stand up right now? If you are a youth worker or a children's worker. Now, the children's worker are actually with the kids, and they're no longer here. But I knew he'd be here. And so... Go ahead and stand up. That's Cameron Cavanaugh. And I literally wrote him my notes hoping he'd be here. You guys can have a seat. Anybody who chooses to work with your kids, A, you should pray for them and thank God for them because at least they will be patient and love your kids just like you do, right? You love them, but sometimes you just want to strangle them, right? And thank you, Cameron, for all your years of service uh, and so many more that are out there today. So they're faithful. So, uh, but I'm going to uh, go in order in the scripture, and I'll start with the word available, verses 21 and 22. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. The news about them reached the ears of the church, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. And so you see, when you're available, God's more concerned about your availability than your ability. Some of you say, I don't have any gifts. Yes, you do. But your gifts aren't really what's that, that, that important today. What's important is, are you available to do what God's called you to do? And Barnabas gets tapped on the shoulder a number of times through the book of Acts to go do something. He will go to Antioch. Later, he's sent out to go find Paul. Then he's going to bring money back to Jerusalem. He never complains. He just goes. He's available, always available to be on mission. And so here's my question. How are you doing as God is tapping you on the shoulder? So here's another illustration. It's sitting here in the row over here. Rich Juden, I met several months ago, right before I left ABF, he started coming to this Tuesday men's Bible study. And let me just say, this guy needs zero caffeine in the morning. He is full of energy. And he's taken on to run our men's Bible study on Tuesdays during the summer. We usually take the summer off. He goes, hey, let's, let's continue to meet because God's tapped him on the shoulder. And I think of a couple others that aren't here today, but I remember when I started taking people to Mexico 10 years ago, Kevin Green and Paulette White were the two of my first volunteers and helped me take people to Mexico because God tapped them on the shoulder. Next, he was faithful. Look at verses 25 and 26. And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, look at this now. He's been the lead dog. But for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. He's not, a, he's not a quitter. And for a whole year, he disciples Paul and is sharing God's word. He probably had a plan for his life, and God said, no, you got to hang with this dude here for a, a while longer. And he helped believers come to faith in Christ. And so I got to ask yourself, who or what are you giving your life to? Who or what are you giving your life to? Some of you ask, well, John, what are you doing now that you're retired? You playing golf twice a week? Well, yeah, kind of, <laughs> often. But I, there's more to my life than, than golfing. I'm discipling men. Um, I'm on a few boards for a Fellowship of Christian Athletes and Hugo Ministries. I am, my wife can attest. 
I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not sitting just lounging, drinking lemonades. Uh, I've got work to do. For those, would you raise your hand if you're retired? Just raise your hand if retirement's even a biblical word. Uh, isn't it amazing how you got anything done when you were, quote, working for a paycheck? Amen, brothers and sisters, uh, because I am busy as ever doing God's work. Uh, and then lastly, he was trustworthy, verses 29 and 30. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judah, and they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. Now, I want to keep remind you, it's always Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul. That's going to change here in a little bit. So they entrusted him with the finances, and it says in verse 25 of chapter 12, and when they had fulfilled their mission, they went on, he, he is a trustworthy guy, even with the funds. He had built up trust. Never once did they think, ah, oh, he's skimming off the top. Uh, he could be trusted. All right? Principle number four. We're going to rapidly get through this today. Um, the whole, he was Holy Spirit directed and called by God. It takes a couple of verses out of chapter 11 and chapter 13. He's full of the Holy Spirit and f- he was a good man, it says, and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. Let me suggest something. If you want to be used by God today, friends, it starts with the Holy Spirit getting a hold of your life. Holy Spirit-led. Now, I realize that for some of you, as you hear this, you go, is this just a grocery list of things that I can't measure up to? And I don't want you to be discouraged. What we're saying is, here are some things to kind of provoke your thinking and think, hey, are these things true of my life as a growing disciple? Again, Jesus is the hero story. You're supporting him in the mission he's called you to do. Are we anchored by the Holy Spirit? And again, and it's in my nose, there they are sitting right there in the front row, uh, good friends of mine, Paul and Terry Reiser. And one of the things that I realized, they are committed to letting the, the Lord direct them. I remember it was several years ago, they were teaching at another church, and they said, we kind of split time between these two churches. We know this guy that leads worship over here, and we'd like to hang out here a little more. Do you think there's room for us to, to teach a, a, a marriage deal? And that birthed this marriage essentials that they've been doing for four or five years, maybe. I might be evangelistic, you know, I'm not sure. And I thought, that's pretty cool. But then they tell me, and we've got this deal uh, going on in Uganda. And one of our later missionaries, we've just added to our missionary role, our friends of theirs from Uganda. Because they are Holy Spirit dependent, I know when they come with to me, or now they come to Josh with a request, I know they've prayed about it. I know the Spirit is leading them. Now, look, you might have missed this. Look at the end of there where it says, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. Growth follows Spirit-led leaders. It grows. Now, not everything grows, but I can tell you growth follows Spirit-filled leaders. I'm thinking about another guy sitting right here in the audience. Isn't this fun? Today, I'm going to get through most of the audience if I know your name. You could be live because this is being taped even as we speak. Uh, and, uh, but I'm thinking of my friend Mike Anioho, who runs a ministry. And 
when he started, there was a few guys, and now there's 70, 100 guys involved in this ministry that he's involved in. Growth follows spirit-led leaders. So that's Holy Spirit dependence, and the part B to that is that he was called by God. Look at chapter 13, verse 2. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, again, Barnabas' name is first, for the work which I have called them to. Now, you need to understand the book of Acts. How many chapters are in the book of Acts? 28. I heard that answer. That's correct. And the first 12 are devoted to what primary character who's kind of the, the primary lead actor in the first 12 chapters of Acts? His name is Peter. In chapter 13, you're going to see a switch, and it's going to become Saul, a.k.a. Paul. And so there's a change. And so Peter is primarily called to reach who? The Jews. And then the gospel expands as Paul reaches the, the who? The Gentiles, which is most of us in this room. And there's this unmistakable call on his life. But I want to clarify something. You don't have to be a pastor or a missionary to be called by God to do your ministry. I don't know. Whatever your ministry is, do it with all your heart, soul, and mind. I remember when I was called to ministry, believe it or not, I was in eighth grade. You got to be kidding. Eighth graders, all they do is play video games. No, no. I was called as an eighth grader. I knew that God had his unmistakable hand on my life, and he was calling me to full-time Christian ministry. I thought I'd be uh, a missionary, maybe, initially. Uh, I didn't know, but I knew I, was, I loved kids. And I remember when I, a few years later, when I got that first call, that the youth pastor in my life by the name of Chuck Lynch said this to me. He said, John, there are two things that are going to last for eternity. The Word of God and people. What do you want to invest your life in? And that's, it, it kind of sealed the deal. Uh, and from that point on, I've been on this trajectory of ministry, which by the way, when you get a calling in eighth grade and then you quote, retire, what is that? That's a weird deal because I, I wrestled for a few months in this retirement. Is my identity wrapped in, in what I do? Or is I, my identity wrapped in in who and what I'm called by. And I am called by God. I don't, whether I get a paycheck or not doesn't really matter because God has his hand on my life. And I got to look at you. Some of you are working in a secular job. God's call in your life can be as predominant and profound as it is to any pastor or missionary if you are willing to do what he's calling you to do in that job. Amen? Amen? Can, I know this is a Baptist church in its roots, but I'm not hearing any amens. Can I hear an amen? Amen. 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 Next, we see that he was humble. And I'm going to read only one verse. You're going to say, where do you get humble out of this verse? Look at chapter Acts 13, and it says, and Paul and his companions put out to sea. You go, how do you get humble out of Paul being put out to sea? Let me give you uh, the backdrop to this. You see, up until this point, it's, it's Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul. But in chapter 13, there's a dramatic switch, and Barnabas voluntarily moves to the second chair, so to speak. In fact, his ministry, quote, decreases, and Paul's ministry increases. That sounds very much like who? John the Baptist. John the Baptist. 
I must decrease so he can increase. And so I would say Barnabas' shining gift is that he has this gift of fading into the background, so to speak, and allows Paul to have prominence. Now, this is the guy that he's discipled. He's invested in. He was kind of, you know, wet around behind the ears kind of guy, and he's invested in Paul, and now it's time for a switch. And Paul's going to be, quote, the lead dog. He doesn't crave the limelight. He doesn't seek the prominence. Uh, he's humble and self-effacing. And I could go through numerous scriptures that show uh, but from that point forward, essentially in the book of Acts, except in one occasion, it's, uh, it's Paul's name first and then Barnabas. Think about this. He never wrote a book of the Bible, but he had quite an influence on who? Two people on a guy named John Mark, which we'll see in a moment, and he had a, quite of an influence on Paul. Paul wrote 13 books of the New Testament, and John Mark went on to write the gospel, which bears his name. So 14 out of 27 books, this support role guy, this guy in the second chair, had that kind of influence on two of our uh, Christians' finest. And as I think about that, I'm reminded of this graphic up on the screen. He is greater than I. What he realized is that it's not about me. And he's not t- that he isn't referring to Paul. It's referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the mindset as Christ followers. He's greater than I. Now, I'm going to take you back old school. Only those of you who are old enough. How many of you know the name Brian Piccolo and Gail Sayers? This would be for all the, those who are sports fanatics and this song called Brian's Song. And I won't go into it, but what a great example of a guy who said, I am second, and kind of deferring to the other. Um, I'm getting my hair cut, by the way. Uh, by the way, that hasn't changed. Pastor Scott cuts my hair every month, and I, had, I squeezed it in last week before he took off for Ocean City, New Jersey. If you like it, give him the kudos. If you don't, I go, hey, you get what you pay for. So there you go. But he's sitting there, and we're talking about this, you know, sitting in the second chair, and he said something that I had thought about, but I had never said to him. He said, this is kind of like you and I. And I said, I know. Because when I came here, I was kind of that Barnabas. You guys were beat up, kind of dejected. You were, you were kind of in a bad place as a church, and I got to be your interim pastor, and uh, this is remarkable. I'm not even talking about my kids, and I'm getting teared up. But the bottom, which should not surprise you, but the bottom line was, as I got to encourage you, the church got healthier and healthier, and then I was part of the search team that brought Pastor Scott here. And I went from being Barnabas to, to, um, to taking the second chair to Pastor Scott. Some of you don't realize that I actually stu- stepped away from the church for one month and there were some staffing changes, and he called me back and said, would you like to come back to the church part-time as the associate pastor? And that began a journey that was incredible that for the last 10 years, I got to serve the guy that I had a hand in hiring. Now, that does a couple of very practical things. If it doesn't go well, it's on me. I brought my own boss in. I was a part of that search. But number two, I got to see something that rarely you get to see, and that is you get to stay at a place where you helped make a turnaround, and then the new lead pastor leads very effectively over these last 10 years. Now, 
Now, fast forward the story, and a year ago when we decided it's time, we're going to step you back and eventually retire, uh, we want you to pass the baton to this young high school pastor by the name of Josh Anioho. And again, I get to do that reverse change where I'm going to let you lead, and I'm going to step to the background, and he's done a phenomenal job, and I'm so proud of how this church, yeah, you can applaud him, amen, but here's something about a healthy church. Leaders who are able to defer to someone else, let go of the baton, and let someone else shine, that's a good quality, and it's modeled by your staff here, and so that this, this verse is very meaningful to me. And so from that point on, it's Paul sets forth and he does this and Barnabas isn't really mentioned except in a secondary role. Number six, he had a proper understanding of his relationship to God. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time. I'm going to let the scripture speak for itself, but I draw three principles from this section of scripture. First of all, he doesn't let personal applaud go to his head. Now, in verse 12 of, uh, of chapter 14, they called Barnabas Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes. Let's just get on with it. At the bottom line, it's pretty crazy. If they're calling you a mythical god, you don't let that go to your head. Number two, he's grounded, and he knew who he was. Look at verses 14 and 15. He's shouting to them, friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We're just bringing you the good news. He was grounded. He knew who he was. He knew who God was. Then number three, and I think I put this in your notes, he pointed people to God and deflected praise. He reminds them of God's work, not their own. And you can read that uh, on your own, but the bottom line is that's what he did. And then number seven, he's a man of principle and conviction. Chapter 15. Here's a very interesting uh, set of scriptures that relates to Barnabas. Barnabas wanted to take John called Mark along with them, but Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along because he deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone. This is in their first missionary journey and had not gone with them into the work. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. Now, here's the backstory. After two or three years, Barnabas and, and Paul are talking. He says, hey, we should retrace our steps and go back to the places where we established the, the church on the first missionary journey. And they suggested that they do this, and they're going to revisit. But Paul and Barnabas can't agree about who's on the team. And in fact, Barnabas wants to bring John Mark and, and on this next journey, but Paul says, uh-uh. Barnabas says, let's give the kid a break. Uh, and he held on the fact that John Mark, uh, even though he had deserted him as a young man, that he deserved a second chance. So John Barnabas says, hey, he's learned his lesson. Let's do this. Paul says, uh-uh. We need someone reliable that we can count on. And the disagreement is so divisive and deep they can't agree, and they separate after 15 years of doing ministry together. Now, that's tragic. And I think about church splits in, in America over the last 100 years over things like this, and they part company. And some people go, this is interesting. Does Luke have a viewpoint? Does he take sides? And he does not. The writer of the book of Acts, he just comments that this is what happened. And so ultimately, they go their separate ways. Now, 
Here's what I think Barnabas is thinking. He's saying, Paul needed defending in his early days when he came to faith in Christ, and I stood by him, and I could hear him arguing to Paul, why aren't you willing to give John Mark a second chance? Lord knows we gave you a second chance, and you had killed some of us. And so Mark wasn't a deserter. He just was a young guy who wasn't ready for the big time, so to speak, on that first missionary journey. You say, is there something deeper as to why Barnabas might have been so much more accommodating? Because that takes some chutzpah to stand up to Paul, who's going to ultimately write half the New Testament, and kind of stand up to this guy. That takes, ooh, that takes some guts. But I think he stands up for, for John Mark for three reasons. Number one, he's family. Did you know that? It says in Colossians 4.10 that, that John Mark was Barnabas' cousin. It says he was my fellow prisoner and uh, sends greetings as is Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Number two, he wasn't afraid to say that Paul is not being charitable or fair. And one of the toughest things for pastors to do is to look somebody else in the eye and say, you're not acting properly here. You're not being fair. I remember growing up in a, in a Baptist church with an aging senior pastor, and there were some things that happened, and I remember a conversation that, that I had with him, and he was so dismissive to me. And in the end, the thing that I asked him about is, how is it that you are quoting um, from the Sermon on the Mount from Dr. James Montgomery Boyce, and you're reading it as if it's your own sermon? You're plagiarizing. And I'll never forget the condescending thing that happened to me. I'm in this office alone, and he was, a, he was an impressive figure. I was, I was indebted for his Bible teaching for all those years, and he kind of rhetorically kind of patted my head, so to speak, and he said, you'll understand when you get older about the pressures of ministry. And so that's why if you go on our website and you see my, I give you my full teaching notes. If you see something in blue or you see in parentheses, I give attribution to John Piper or John MacArthur or whatnot. I never want to do that. But more importantly, uh, I, I, I want those of you in this audience, you don't have to be the pastor's you know, sandpaper in his life and critic, but what you do need to do with one another is if you see something that's not right, don't be afraid to speak up and say, hey, Help me understand. By the way, it's always helpful instead of giving an accusation to start with a question. Help me understand what you were thinking, right? Help me understand what you were thinking when you did this. And so write this down. It's not enough to be right. You have to be redemptive. It's not enough to be right, friends. You have to be redemptive in your engagement with people. And that includes your family members who maybe. Uh, say one thing but live a different life, or maybe aren't walking with the Lord, etc., etc. But ultimately, we know in 1 Corinthians 9, 6, that they patch it up. Paul refers to Barnabas as a fellow worker. And I think an older and wiser Paul, we see that he later forgives John Mark and asks him to join via his letter to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4:12. And so here's the question. Was it t uh, Paul's tough rebuke that got John Mark on the right trail, or was it Barnabas' tender patience that maybe saved Mark for the cause of the gospel, or could it have been both? Because Luke doesn't take a side on that. And so he became useful again. 
He served as Peter's interpreter, and he wrote our second gospel, the gospel of Mark. I want to say something here that might be a bit controversial, but I don't think. But I would venture to say the last two and a half years have been some of the most difficult years of ministry, not just for Pastor Scott and for those on the staff here, but most pastors across the country. Because of this one reason, we were called to make so many judgment calls that would have potentially divisive consequences in our own congregations. People disagreeing or agreeing, you didn't move fast enough, you moved too slow, and whether it was mask or no mask, inside or outside, meet or don't meet, on and on and on. And what happens is sometimes, can we agree that different churches took different approaches for different reasons? Now, we always think, well, our church did it right. Well, you know what? Here's what we did. We went to God in prayer. I got elders sitting in here, and we agonized over some of those decisions made over the last two and a half years. And in the end, you are here. We're, we're moving back to, thank you, thank you. We're moving back to the new normal, whatever that is. And, um, but I thought about how many ways Christians divide over stuff that, and by the way, at the time, I would have looked at that thing with John Mark and go, that seems kind of minor, but you split up over that deal. But here's how God worked. In spite of their contention and disagreement, it multiplied the gospel because they went on separate missionary journeys and the gospel spread because of it. Now, some of you might laugh, and this is a bad joke. You go, well, that's the whole way that Baptists do church planting. They just have church splits, and they start churches. Bad joke. I get it. Uh, I can't pick on the Methodists. I don't know them, etc., etc. So the bottom line is there's different approaches to ministry that sometimes lead to division. I got to land this plane. By the way, when you haven't preached for six months, you realize you've got pent up words that have to be used and you've been so patient here, especially those of you online. Some of you are like, okay, then promise me, land the plane. I'm trying. So then we see the postscript. We see his death and he was martyred in, on the island of Cyprus, actually his hometown in Salamis. And uh, the story goes that John Mark is the one who collects his body and buries him in this area. Isn't that interesting? If we wrap up now, which we are, I'd like to just bring some application. And Chad's going to come. He's going to pat on the piano like I love so much because it puts us in a frame of reference. Just think about the, what God's speaking to you. So if you, if you would be willing, would you just kind of bow your heads and close your eyes? And I want you to think about this great supporting character by the name of Barnabas. And let's look at some things that we've learned about his life and how it applies to us. Heavenly Father, today as we look at this guy, I'm reminded today, I want to be an encourager more than anything else. And I hope I've been an encouragement to some in the congregation today. May we do that. May we take the time to text someone or to, to send them a note. And then, Lord, who needs defending today? Who do we need to vouch for? Who do we need to stand by? And then, Lord, I pray that I'm faithful, available, and trustworthy. And I thank you for the hundreds of volunteers who are living ministry out here. And then, Lord, would you make it a, a pattern of my life that I would be Holy Spirit anchored 
And I want to be faithful. I don't want to be a quitter. I want to be financially responsible. And Lord, is it true? I pray that humility would describe our church, that we'd be willing to decrease as we, we grow leaders into leadership and we take a step back and applaud them and move them forward. May you bless Pastor Josh in that regard today. He leads uh, as the associate and Scott leads as the lead pastor. Chris as our youth pastor and Adrian and children's and all the other staff. And then Lord, when it's time to have a conviction and to draw the line, are we willing to pay that price to make a hard decision? Well, that's our prayer. And those are the lessons, Lord, we've learned today from Barnabas. May it be true of us as a congregation, as you are the hero of the story, may we just be part of the supporting cast in your story. And that is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Taste of His goodness, find what you're looking for.